The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. Mahai, good morning, and welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. My name is Slim, along with Tomas Hernandez from Tribe Recovery Homes. And if you are just tuning in for the first time, welcome to the program. Sharing Our Stories is a program about addiction and recovery. And each week we come in and we discuss things to help people dealing with addiction find their recovery and sometimes it's really important to give you this information so that you can you can know where to reach out to you can know where to go and so that you can realize that yes you can recover so thank you for tuning in this morning um uh, we have a great guest coming in this morning but before we get to that mahai we want to share with you that this past weekend last weekend uh was the colorado broadcast association awards and last weekend we were up for the award for best public affairs program and i'm really proud to share that we won we have the the best talk show uh about the community in the city that's amazing man. I, i'm All very right, proud i'm very proud to say that uh i don't want to like you know by no means have an ego about it but i'm proud to say that and, and the reason why i'm so proud is you know we started this program because we wanted to help people and for somebody to acknowledge that our our mission yeah. Not, not to be the best at anything, because there's everybody that we were up against has great programs too. But to acknowledge, I believe what they were, what we won for, was that our goal is so important, which is to help people in the community, absolutely, and to share stories of recovery and, and to let people know that we recover. So, um, I was so proud to be by your side on Saturday evening in front of all the radio stations and all the television stations, and see your name up there on that wall. <laughs> when they announced that we won and see Tomas Hernandez's name on two giant movie screens in front of 500 people that are all from Nine News and Denver 7 and Fox 31 and all the different radio stations in the city. And Tomas gets up and he walks over in front of them and gets up on the stage. And Tomas, being who he is, of course, raises the award up high and screams, we did it <laughs> in front of everybody. And I cussed a little bit. Like I, think you, I think you did. Yes. But um, I, it's an honor to do this program with you. Yeah. And we've only been doing it since... The, the the end of last year, the beginning of this year, and um, to already have been noticed for our work on this program, it really means a lot because um, I know we have we we're just getting started. Yeah. That's the thing is we're just getting started. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, the crazy thing is you know to be able to share that stage with with you, Tony V, Sean. You know, it was like getting those pictures. You know, everybody can say, ah, oh, yeah, they used to do the F the radio and the police and all that stuff, everybody back in the day and all that stuff. But everybody really wants to be in the radio. Everybody wants to be around the host and stuff like that. And they're 47 years old through recovery, not through the ideology that I had when I was younger, just trying to make money and, and promote negative negativity to do it with a positive platform. And really, 
we don't say much. We just give everybody the opportunity to say their story. So big shout out to Marlon, Marlon Jackson, because his story was the one that we submitted to win. Mm -hmm. Um, Amazing comeback story. We have that on the website. I I suggest if you want to hear that, that, that show. You want to see a kid from Detroit made good, made the NFL, and hit the bottom and come on his way back in a different way. That was the show, and that was Marlon speaking. So me to be able to sit in this seat and and, and be honored to to let that man tell that story because you know how hard that would be. I don't know how. I know my bottoms, and I've heard a lot of bottoms, but going from an NFL platform to smacking your face right on the ground and still finding hope through recovery that's what it's all about and be able to sit there and do that that was uh because he's the true unspoken hero on that award i just i love you marlon if you're hearing me yeah his his story him sharing his story but it could have been keith ginger julia yeah everybody who's come in like they're all tremendous tremendous guests that we've had yeah we bleeped out keith a lot because this my one of my best (laughs) friends we bleep out you a lot okay we bleep (laughs) you quite a bit all right. When it, when, if it comes to somebody who has a dirty mouth, mile high, yeah. there's Tomas Hernandez. Man, so if you're I listening to this Catholic. program and you're dealing with addiction and you're like, man, I can't work with you guys. You guys are so proper and you've got it all together and I can't find my re- You're not like me. Don't worry. You can get with Tomas here. Absolutely. And you'll be you'll feel right at home and go, all right, I'm with somebody who can help me find my recovery because he curses like a sailor just like I do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's all about being real. You know, I'm not trying to put my uh, my stamp on the F word, but I love it dearly. Oh, and, gosh. You know, um, his F word is friends, Malhai. Friends. Friends is his favorite word. Yeah. What about Fugazi. your friends? Fugazi. All my friends. That's yeah. right. So this morning we have, this morning we're going to bring in a guest who uh, hasn't gone through their own personal addiction, but their work helps people recover in, in the city. Crazy. And, and we, we can't get you to the place that you need to be in your recovery without people like our guest, Lorez, from Caring for Denver this morning. So we are very excited to have Lorez here. She is the executive director, or as Tomas puts it, the head honcho. Absolutely. Head honcho in charge. We even got her a poncho and a sombrero. She wears it. The head honcho with a poncho. Lorez from Caring for Denver. Well, such an honor to be here with award-winning friends. Thank you. Don't say that to him too much. Man, I've been doing it like in the... In the I've been wearing out it out the house. My wife's about to slap me. I've been saying it at the store, but I get out of my way, man. I'm an award winner. First thing he said to his wife, you're now married to an award-winning talk show host. Absolutely. I started talking like Ted Koppel. Tomas, sit down. Sit down. And he's sitting next to Jeremy Hubbard from Fox 31 at the time. And he's just telling Jeremy how great he is. Not Absolutely. how great Jeremy is. How great Tomas With is. With his five awards in front of me. Congratulations, Jeremy, by the way. You and your wife were amazing. Yes. Jeremy Hubbard, Fox 31. Big shout out to you. He was a great dude. Um, and he sat at our table and we were like, we know Jeremy Hubbard. We had dinner yeah, with him. He would just come in the rest and like he'd get an award and just put it right down the thing. They, they were like coasters by the time he was Yeah, done. he did have quite a few, but we got one. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Our guest this morning is Lorez from Caring for Denver. And Malhai, if you don't know about Caring for Denver, they focus on improving mental health, reducing substance abuse, and providing support for individuals who are experiencing homelessness here in the Denver community. So we thought she would be a great guest and we wanted her to come in and talk a little bit about herself, how she got into Caring for Denver. So Lorez, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for dealing with the two of us. 
It's the most fun I've had all week. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, your life must be really boring. No, I'm just kidding. We can't be to deal with us fun, please. Yeah. No, no. Highlight, highlight. That sounded so mean. Your must be, your life must be really boring. Now, take that she back. Had to get That's prepared. not what I meant. She has to get prepared. I remember my first... Um, I had a first like meeting with her staff and it's supposed to be like 45 minutes. I took it for like three hours. Like, yo, that is how you do things though. You're one long winded individual. It's like the first time you were ever on this program. You had 30 minutes to speak and you spoke for an hour and a half. Man, and I was like, come on, bro. Got a lot to say. We have to re-record this now. Lorez, <laughs> thank yeah. you for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the organization. Did you start this organization? I did. Well, uh, tell us all about it. Well, I would love to. Uh, with my partner in crime, uh, Representative Leslie Harrod, she and I actually both worked together in Governor Ritter's office. So I have, I can't keep a job is the best way that I like to ex explain my experience in that I've started nonprofits. I've worked at other foundations. I worked for Governor Ritter, Governor Hickenlooper, Medicaid. Uh, did some other things, but it all culminated in the creation of Caring for Denver, which was came out of a ballot initiative. Leslie said, I have a good idea. And I had just done some work on what are some of the substance misuse needs in community and community always knows best. And so we really wanted to create a foundation that was focused and centered around what community wanted to heal. And so how could we do that? So we raised sales tax in Denver by a quarter percent. And that then goes to fund substance misuse and mental health, suicide prevention, co-responder, alternative response, really creating alternative pathways for people in recovery and recognizing that recovery looks as different as each individual is. How do we create many pathways? And if we really wanted different outcomes, how do we do things differently? And so that is really the ethos of who of caring for Denver is we want to be community-centered. We want to be good stewards of those dollars. We want to focus on impact and learning. And we want to lift up community voice, community ideas, because that's where the true knowledge and expertise lies. And so we've been very fortunate. Uh, we've been able to get out $111 million, 221 unique organizations, all approaching mental health, access to care, that fit of care. You know, we're all very different people. Lots of things inspire us. Sometimes it's music, it's art, it's spoken word. It could be um, you want to be with Latinos, you want to be with uh, different communities. I might be LGBTQIA, whatever that is, however you want to come to recovery, how do we create those spaces where you feel like you fit, uh, where you feel respected, understood, and trusted, and that you can truly recover? Because putting your stories out there, is, as you both know, is something very personal. And there's something scary about it, but it's really through that storytelling that we connect and we heal. And this sort of gets to why I do this is that um, we all have our own stories. We've all been touched by mental health or substance misuse. I had a stepmother that was an alcoholic. I've had a stepfather that passed from dementia. My mother really suffered through depression when she lost her husband. And so we all have it. It's sometimes good and sometimes it's not. And so how do we recognize and, and have that acceptance and healing and, and create the space for people to really show up as they are and heal as they need to. And so it's through those experiences we can come together and create a better Denver. Tell me a little bit about Caring for Denver. What sure. is the organization? What is, what, what is the, the goal? Sure. Uh, we are a nonprofit um, created out of an ordinance that raised sales tax by that quarter percent. It raises about uh, $45 million a year. 
that we then reinvest in community. So we are a nonprofit. We have a contract with the city to get these funds out. And what it allows us to do is really invest in innovative ideas. It allows us to be thought partners. It allows us to really support community and lift up different ideas. So STAR is a great example of that. So STAR is an alternative response. There was a model like that in Oregon, and uh, we went out and visited it. A whole bunch of us, community, law enforcement, 911, all went out to see what this model was like, got to experience it and say, what could that look like in Denver? And so what that means is when you call 911, you can ask for STAR directly or if they understand that it's a it's a welfare check, somebody's in crisis, what they'll send out is a mental health person as well as a paramedic rather than law enforcement, which could be pretty disruptive to somebody that is in crisis. Um, it's about we just embedded co-responders, so licensed clinical social workers that are in parks with park rangers, first of its kind to be embedded Amazing. in parks. And so we can try these new ideas in ways that really support community healing. Um, we fund in three areas. We fund around youth, and youth for us is 0 to 26 because that's how community talks about their young people. It doesn't matter if they're 3 or 23. They want to make sure that their young person is thriving. We fund around alternatives to jail. And what that really is about is a lot of people who have touched the criminal legal system haven't been able to find care that fits. And because they haven't been able to find that care that fits, they end up hitting the legal system. And there's better pathways. So how do we intervene early? That could be STAR co-responder. It could be through pretrial services that Tribe Recovery does. It could be through public defenders and DA's office, or it could be as they're coming out, how do we make sure they get connected to community organizations so that they are stable in community and don't have to hit that legal system again? And then the third area we fund in is community-centered. And what that's really about is people said, you know, care doesn't look like me. It doesn't reflect my culture, my identity, who I am. I end up talking more, and I don't really get the care I need. And so this idea is, how do we invest healing in places where people are already at, those places that they trust, community centers? How can it be in you know safe outdoor spaces for the unhoused? Where they're at, where they're getting these other services, how do we embed mental health and substance misuse services to make it easy and to make it accessible and, and help them get that right fit? What would you like to see Caring for Denver do in the future? If you had some, like, what's the agenda like for the future? You know, the agenda, even though we've invested that much in community, access is still an issue. And so mm-hmm. I want to I wanna get to a place where that isn't the issue. I uh, want to continue to work on fit of care. And there's a lot of resources we're still missing. We don't have a lot of pay, places for young people to recover from substances. We need more of those spaces and places um, to help with uh, recovery, detox, and detox isn't even the right word anymore. We, we used to sort of really talk about the social, de- you know, social detox and medical model. And the place we're in, we just need different models. And I'd love to see us really figure out what is that new model that needs to exist for young people as well as older adults to, to say – and when I say older adults, older than youth, <laughs> me, old me, uh, you know, and others, how do we create spaces and places that aren't like the traditional places where you want to, it feels welcoming. It's a place you want to go to, to heal. Um, it's not a, an exam room. It is not a, 
you know, cold and clinical. We have to think about what's going to invite and keep people in. And so that can be as much the design of the space as well as the people that are in that space. So for Caring for Denver, is is it more of an organization that people call for help or do you guys do more of the outreach of supporting organizations that help people? That's a great question. We, we support the organizations that okay. really help people. Um, we can on occasion, if people just don't know where to go, try to give them some resources. There's 13 of us. We certainly can't do that for the whole city, but mm-hmm. we know that fit of care is so important and people don't have many calls in them when they're trying to get help. They'll try once, twice, yeah. but if they hit a roadblock, they're going to stop. And so if we can think about what could be that fit of care, we try to do that. But um, we, we try to put all the organizations we fund on the website as well. So people can really look and see, you know, based on who they are, where they are, what they need, is there an organization that's there for me? One of the things we're also doing is funding a lot of the organizations to build their own communication capacity so they can tell their own story. And so people can more easily understand, is that the right one for me? This is one of the things I always say for Tomas's tribe recovery homes is, you know, there's not one, like you mentioned, there's not one pathway to recovery, um, especially if you're dealing with you're coming out of jail or you're homeless or you're a kid or you're a, a, you're a senior citizen. All of these things affect your pathway to recovery, just like the substances that you might use affect your pathway to recovery. So I always say with Tomas, uh, when we give out the phone number for tribe recovery homes, that, hey, Tomas knows that we, he may not be the fit for you. But he wants you to know that if you call, he's got people that want to help you find where it is that you belong. Exactly. Because sometimes that is the hardest part. And, and people want to know, like you said, they don't want to make a whole bunch of phone calls. You know, they might have two in them, but maybe not three or four. So, you know, it's important that Tomas, Absolutely. you know, can find that, hey, we're not you, but here's where you should call. You know, the days of, of call centers are still important, but it's still every organization. I'm a proud, proud grantee of Caring for Denver, and I've been in this position for quite some time, being blessed in that position. I've got more connections and in, in other EDs that I could call my family than I could shake a stick at. I mean, I could pick up the phone and call Hassan. I could pick up the phone and call Leo. I can pick up the phone. Now, who's Hassan and Leo for those that are just so, checking in? Absolutely. So Hassan Latif is the founder of, of Second Chance Center. And right now, um, the executive director, the acting executive director is Khalil. And we also have Leo, which is Lifeline, which actually gave me my first shot at case management. And what's Lifeline? Lifeline is a beautiful, beautiful uh, gang disengagement youth and, and recovery model. They're, they're in the old uh, Powell building, Denver Powell League building um, off of Bannock. It's, uh, it's an amazing, huge building. They do some great work with gang disengagement. They do a great work with the youth. They've done great work with adults. It's just a great organization. What's gang disengagement? Basically, we just go and try to get you to walk that different path. You know, it's, uh, let's stop going down that, that left turn and keep on going down. That east road. Let's just turn back west. Let's figure out if it's, it's if it's not west. Let's go south or south or north, and let's 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 go to something positive. You know, whatever that takes. It's spirituality. Something- you know, you can use spirituality, and that's a big thing that Leo and and his good people use over there. You got uh, education. You got job placement. You got housing placement, and it's about the same things. It's about retention. It's about getting them through the judicial systems. It's about reengaging with new environments, new habits, you know, and that's uh, 
That's 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 lifeline. You know, that's that's what they've been doing for years. Leo's been doing a great job with that. He uses a lot of different stuff with like a, you know, he he's he's the first old school model. Actually, I kind of like to say it because like he used uh, he used uh, House of Pain boxing. He used to have them in there in his uh, in his building. I think they're. I seen him on, on online the other day, still doing some things with with uh, Tony with uh, Steve Mastis and all them, you know. And he still gets all innovated, with, you know, with computer systems, technology, making sure that they're learning their, their their literacy on that type of stuff. They're going in jails with ministry. They do a lot of stuff, man. That's really it's practical, it's old school, but yet it's still edgy and new because they still keep it bright and heavy and keep that tradition of the Latino community and more going every day. And Lifeline is something that I would figure that more so parents would call on behalf of their children. Because a lot of times it's not a kid that says, hey, I want to get out of gangs and let me make this phone call to get out of gangs. It's the parent. The kid might want it, but it's the parents that help them on that path there, right? And they're so... Would you say, I don't know. I'm I'm asking. Well, I wouldn't even say it's even a phone call. They'll get phone calls, but they're pretty active. So they're in front of the parents before they pick up the phone. Uh They're, They're out there in the streets advocating and making sure that they're out there. You know, and that's what's great about their 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 community. They've been they've been partnered with a couple other. Don't want to get the name wrong, but I need to get Leo on this on this uh, this uh, station anyway. Get him talking about it so you can hear it from him. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's you know, and that's and that's just one out of out of many. You know, you have you have uh, works. You know, you got Jaquin down in in uh, in Springs. You know, you got you got like I said, Hassan Latif. From Second Chance Dinner, started his organization in the back of a red Jaguar after he just got done, done doing over 27 years in, in, in prison. And Second Chance Dinner is for those people that are re-entering yeah. society Absolutely. From, from prison, yeah, from incarceration. Um, our guest this morning is Lorez from Caring for Denver. She is the executive director. And I see you nodding over there about all these organizations. You know them all. Yep, we, all right. we do fund them all. I mean, Leo Alrez does an amazing job at Lifeline. Um I mean, it's really about a lot of these programs are about empowering people. You know, sometimes the systems and other things just make people feel like they don't have choices. Their their path has been pre-decided. And so this is about reminding people that they are amazing. Mm-hmm. They have the power and they have the choice. And how do we really create opportunity out of that? And so Leo does that with a lot of youth and parents that are have touched that life and and don't want that life and want a different one and so how do you sometimes it's about showing there are other opportunities peer specialist is a is a big part of recovery and the reason that's so important is because people have to see somebody that looks like me that now has a different a different life and so if they have a different life i can have a different life Mm -hmm. and that's just so important it's a big part of what tomas does it's a big part of many of these programs because you know, it's that peer connection. Somebody that looks like me, sounds like me. They were like me. They were on the street. They hit the, the legal system. They they did this. They did that. Yeah. Now they're in recovery, and they're helping me with my recovery. Quika, who is with Colorado Village Collaborative, yeah. is, is building a whole cadre of peer specialists that really have that experience. And we, there's so much – I mean, intuitively you know that works, but there's so much data to show – that having somebody that has been through it and is on the other side helps keep helps keep people in recovery. Yeah, she called me the other day. She's gonna be a neighbor right in the neighborhood, so it's gonna be. I'm pretty excited to have her over there. And, and the talent, how, how you know, I had no idea. I was actually on the plane to San Diego to marry my wife, 
and I got a call from Larez, and I've never heard from her before in my life. And she was like, I have this thing called Karen for Denver. I need to have her advisory board. Can you make it such and such dates with your email? I gave it to him. I'm like, sure, cool. And I didn't even know what an advisory board was at the time. I was like, hung up the phone trying to act all cool around my wife. Yeah, I'm on an advisory board. And I was like, <laughs> let me Google this. What the hell am I going to be doing on this advisory board? You know what I mean? But I came back into town and I was blown away by the people that were in that room. You know, I talked about it when uh, when Leslie was on on the on the station and it was uh it was just it was very unique to see lived experience first responders judicial systems politicians you name it in that room all for the same ideology is to let's instead of saying save denver let's care for denver you know what I mean? Everybody's been trying to do this 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 Hail Mary, let's just save them all at one thing, one in one uh, candidacy. I'm going to save Denver. You know what I love about caring for Denver, it's 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 the long game. We got to do it as a family, it takes a village and we got to do it together and we got to connect with each other and we got to keep going. And I think we really try to be a different foundation. A lot of times foundations will say, "Hey, this is the problem." And so this is the answer. And there's one singular answer. And I think the way we try to approach it is we all have experiences. We all have lenses. We all approach these issues from different places. But let's bring a lot of people together that have experienced this and really lift up all of that knowledge and build something around all those solutions and knowledge rather than saying we under, we know it um, because we know really community knows it. And so we really want to lift up and have community direct what we do. So from helping us shape what, what, should, what, what should we fund to saying how do we even know if it's successful? Because an ordinance can tell us what to do, but that doesn't say that we're doing the right thing for community. Mm -hmm. And it was community that told us, well, then, if you did this well, we're going to see more access. We're going to see a better fit of care, and we're going to see more care over time. And so that's what we work with all of our grantees around is, okay, how do we measure that? And then the grantees get to decide what they measure, meaning – Again, I could tell you what to measure. It might not have any meaning to Tomas. We might say we want to measure recovery. But in this conversation, what we figure out is what's more important. Recovery is important, but it's a point in time. What's more important is engagement. So let's measure engagement because if people are showing up and continuing to come, then they're going to stay in recovery. So it's not just recovery alone. And so we might have never known that if we didn't really work with all of our grantees to say – what does success look like? What is important? And really helps us tell a better story that we can tell both in data. So last year for all of our, our grantees, um, 71% had reduced substance misuse for all the people they serve. 76% improved mental health. 90-ish percent reduced recidivism, reduced entry into the criminal legal system. That's important. But then it's also the stories behind them that really are the telling piece. And those those data that impact with those stories really show that even in a short time, we've been able to make a difference. Well, you know, one of the things, and I'm kind of losing my train of thought here on this, but it seems like um, what you're saying in one way is that it's not necessarily, oh, 1,000 people recovered this year due to tribe recovery homes, but more so that um, 1,000 people recovered, but... 3,000 people learned about recovery and now know that that's an option for them. Mm -hmm. And the more important number, though the 1,000 number is a fantastic number, the even better number is 3,000 people now know it's available. 
the 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 yeah. in, it's not engagement, but the but it's the, bit, the knowledge of yeah, it. Yeah, the knowledge and engagement's a super important piece. I mean, again, where this all starts from is we have to be willing to talk about it. If we mm-hmm. don't talk about it, we're not going to be able to address it and solve it. And that takes a while for people to get comfortable. So in this last year, so yes, I said those percentages, but we engaged 311,000 people. They now know more about some of the resources. They know more about opportunities. Is that everybody in Denver? Not yet. So when you said about mm-hmm. the goal, the goal is every Denverite is able to and has talked to or knows where to go when they have mental health Absolutely. or substance misuse you, issues. When you said we have to be able to talk about it, it just it went ding, ding, ding in my head. That's what we're doing here. Yep. That's what this whole program has been that, that we do. You know, our goal is always just one person a week. Yep. If we can reach one person a week and get them thinking about their recovery, then bam, we've hit it. We've made a base hit this week, you know, or even a home run. Absolutely. And, you know, and you know um, Denver... Y'all were spoiled because I've traveled to different states, to different towns. And we are so innovative to have things like Caring for Denver and a, and a few other programs that are out there, grant foundations and the programs that Caring for Denver has created that nobody's even heard of in different states. They don't even know where to start, where to begin. You know, and it's uh, when I go out there and, you know, I'm everybody that everybody knows, I'm, I'm trying to get on that national platform and the next place that I'm going, everybody pretty much knows where I'm going. And I'm out there and, and I'm loving getting in that community. But there's a lot of the, that language hasn't been t- hasn't been talked about yet. And I did not realize how blessed I was to actually give that lived experience to get that on the job experience to learn. You know, because I never even knew how to be an ED. I've, I've had LLCs before and stuff, but to be an executive director of a nonprofit is not easy at all. And not only I became a successful executive director of a nonprofit, I also had the, because I had the support, you know, uh, Mr. Cortez from Caring for Denver, I got to give him a shout out. He's amazing. He's He's been He's been in our corner for a very, very long time for years, and, and I love him to death. And he's he's taught me more things about how to get my measures, about how to make sure that I'm prepared, make sure I'm there. And those are those types of things. But I do got a big question for you, Larez, is, you know, mine was a little unorthodox. You don't just call everybody when they're about to jump on the plane. That's kind of movie-ish. But I noticed that there are a lot of different things since we really got the gears going. Because at the beginning, we were just kind of doing surveys, and we were doing it in different rooms. We'd find a room pre-COVID, and we just talk about things but you're really organized now so could you tell our listeners how you get the information about caring for denver the lives that you do on on facebook and social media and how if i was just a person that didn't get blessed with that phone call and i was listening to the radio right now how would i go about getting involved i've got a startup i got maybe i got one that's been successful for a while but i just want to be in caring for Denver, and I got a, a Denver. Yeah, I have a Denver address for my for my organization. What do I need to do? Yeah, no, great question. Um, well, website one of the easiest ways if you have access to the internet. It's caring number four Denver dot org. Uh, that has you can learn more about our grant making. All of our Facebook Live opportunities are on there. Um, all of us are our first name at caringfordenver.org. So I'm just Lorez, L-O-R-E-Z, at caringfordenver.org. You can drop me an email. That's my job is to, to talk to community, talk about ideas, think about connections, help build capacity. And so happy to be, happy to be that resource. Um, we try to do a lot of our learning on the website. So you can look at how we learn, how we approach learning. 
and again, it's in a in a different way than a lot of foundations do. Uh, we've done learning briefs. So as we learn more about the work with it with youth with um, in this alternatives to jail space and in this community centered space, we try to put that out for all. So while it's important that Denver benefits from this because it's a Denver sales tax, really the true success is if other communities can benefit from this as well at the same time. And so really sharing that learning, sharing that best practice so that people can build on and iterate what we've done and make it better. And then we can learn from that. And so, again, this is not about everybody doing their own thing, but how do we learn from one another is is super important. And so we really just want to be a resource for as many people as possible. I mentioned at the beginning of this program, but once again, Malai, our guest is, <clears throat> excuse me, Lorez, the executive director of Caring for Denver, the head honcho. Uh, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this program, uh, they focus on improving mental health, reducing substance abuse, and providing support for individuals experiencing homelessness here in the Mile High. What are some of the organizations that you're working with currently? I know, and it's a question. I know you don't have a list in front of you, so going off the top of your head when you have as many as you do is not easy. Yeah. So no. if any just pop in your head, sure, ones that stand out to you. You know, of course, Tribe Recovery Lifeline is one of the others that was mentioned. Second Chance Center. You know, some of these organizations like Second Chance Center, they're actually in Aurora, but they are serving Denver residents a significant amount, and we can fund that as well. That's um, awesome. The center That's the question I was yeah, wondering about. Yeah. We know that geography is hard. And so, again, our ordinance requires us to fund city and county of Denver, but we know Asian Pacific Development Center. They serve a lot of individuals that are in Denver mm-hmm. as well as other places. We can fund some of that work in Denver as long as it's significant. And, mm-hmm. and I will never define that because – Uh, Once you define it, everybody's like, but I'm one point away from that. And Uh so it's just it has to be meaningful. It has to be defendable. So meaning we have a contract with the city. We're subject to the city auditor. I have to show that we're being good stewards of the dollars. Yes. Yes. And so that's what we try to live by. But um, Center for African-American Health, they're partnering with Therapist of Color Collaborative to provide uh, supports in their community center. 85% 85% of the people they've seen have never accessed services. 97% have completed 15 to 18 visits. That partnership is amazing. We've started working with a Colorado Black Health Collaborative in barbershops and salons as a way to engage people. There's sometimes few, you know, again, this is about safe spaces. Where do you feel comfortable talking mm-hmm. about what's going on? That might be your barber or salon mm-hmm. person. And so how do we actually give them the tools to connect people to care? And how do we make sure they're cared for as well? There's the Center for Trauma and Resilience that works with women that maybe have experienced violence and how do we help them address that trauma? It could be the Boys and Girls Club, you know, embedding licensed clinical social workers, Safe Outdoor Spaces, Colorado Village Collaborative, embedding licensed clinical social workers and peer specialists in their sites. It's working with pregnant moms through Colorado Postpartum Supports connecting them with peer specialists or licensed clinical social workers. So it's it's about embedding people where they're at. Colorado Women's Education and Employment, we've embedded mental health support. So as women are learning about how to reenter the workforce, we know it's a challenging time. It was a challenging time when this passed. It's The last couple of years have been tough with the pandemic, with the economy, with the uncertainty of life. And so how do we embed these supports in places where people are already at? So there are... 221 unique organizations, including we fund some city organizations, so the STAR program, co-responder that's all run through the city. So um, 
the pretrial supports and services yeah. that Tomas and Second Chance are partnering on is an amazing program as well. There, it's it's like you know sometimes people are like, "What's your favorite grant?" And I'm like, I, I love them. I love them all, I, yeah, and I love I, them equally. It's like children. Yeah, I, thought I love that them would all. Be an insulting question yeah, to ask yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> I got a no. great one for her, actually. Um, what really always intrigued me and what I fell in love with caring for Denver, really, truly, even before, and I'm telling everybody before I even I knew that I was gonna apply. Um. Tell us about your star-studded cast, your your advisory boards, the, the the methodology of how you pick these people to find out and give you the knowledge to, to develop these programs, vote on them. What what does that look like so our listeners can can know that it's not just some stuffy room full of uh, professionals trying to you know because we get that cliche we get that stigmatization of, of a foundation that's that's from tax dollars that it's just a bunch of government people and police in some room that's saying oh we're going to take eighty percent of this ninety percent and we'll just give some scraps away and that's farthest from the truth it's it's and, and you've spoken that in, in this interview um, but what does that look like because I mean you got like. Like, uh, the only time that you've ever been wrong, um, Keith Hayes, that's, that's, that's my beautiful best friend. Um, we're going to have to retract that, Keith. I'll call you a little bit later on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I but was not, like, No, no, no. Keith is my boy. That's a great, that's yeah. actually a great example that's yeah. been on this show. He's amazing in, in every way. Yeah, he um, works at the 5280 High School. Absolutely. Yes. He works. A, he's an amazing man. He yeah. is. He Praise is. Praise Keith Hayes. Yeah. Praise Keith. That is my man. Yeah. I love yes, sir. that guy. And we fund 5280 High School. They do amazing work with youth recovering from substance misuse and actually just gave them another grant to do after-school programming because needs exist after those school hours. And so uh, Keith is amazing and actually a new board member. So we're very excited about that. Exactly. Yeah, well. don't you dare, Tomas, ever insult <laughs> Keith's name again, Man, even in your jokes. I like, love that guy to death. You know what? It, it really, truly... You know, he was one of the first people that I seen when I walked in the recovery rooms and I was, you know, um, he's got that. That's the example that that's a true definition of of that question on that. Keith is on the if, advisory board. Yeah. On the advisory board. Um, Keith is an individual that <sighs> more people need to go to our website and hear his story. Yes, You know, it's a. Uh, He's a true man of recovery. He is. He has a true heart for this, and he has a true eye for this. And that's one example. And if after she's done interviewing with us, I suggest go back and rewind to that so you know exactly what I'm talking about. But please, please let us know how, how that works. Sure. I mean, it, it all starts with who's trusted in community. And so you, you find those community leaders and you ask, you know, who do you trust? Who should be there? And And that's how we build the list is – uh, you bring people together um, that are trusted and and share same values about recovery. Um, they have some maybe, lived experience, lived too. experience, and and maybe they don't all have the same solution, and that's okay. But we figure out where is the commonality. So sometimes in society, especially today, we tend to focus on what divides us rather than what unites us. And there's so much that unites us in this recovery space. That it's just about bringing those trusted folks together to talk about what are those things we know that need to exist? What are those pieces that are super important? And let's start there. And then by working together, you build that trust that can extend to other issues. And you can have those tough conversations. Um, It's really about recognizing we're all more than however we've been defined. We're more than 
a person in recovery. We're more than an executive director of a foundation. We're more than a parent. We're more than a, you know, and how do we bring those more thans together to say, what is our commonality? And together we can figure out what the solution is and how to really create those recovery paths for for Colorado ultimately, but in particular for us, for Denver. Is there anything that <clears throat> you're sitting at home drinking a cup of coffee and it's a Sunday later in the morning, not so early, and you're relaxing, that pops into your head and you go, you know what, that's the kind of organization that I wish we had in caring for Denver that you don't feel is currently covered? Are there any things that you're like, that you've thought of? You know, again, I think we need more spaces for young people. More spaces um, for young people. Especially uh, spaces around substances. Um, it's easy to think that our young people aren't, aren't using um, and and then at the same time, I was uh, uh, talking to a friend who had uh, their friend's 13-year-old overdose on opioids, um, is in the hospital and doesn't know where to go after that. And part of it is the way we, we have treatment, the way we sometimes have recovery, there are spaces for adults. Um, we're getting better about also creating spaces for women and transgendered women um, as well that isn't always the same as spaces where men will recover. Mm-hmm. They have different needs, um, but we're we're much more limited on youth spaces because they can't be placed with adults. Yeah. So a lot of our care spaces aren't about youth, and and as we design recovery and spaces for youth, they have to look different. A young person, we actually um, leverage the expertise of young people, so we have them look at all the grants we get when we are getting these proposals around how to better serve youth, and we'll ask them, is this something you would use? Is this something your friend would use? Would you refer somebody to this? And if they say, no, that is not at all us, if they don't see that youth voice, that youth-led, that youth-informed component to that work, we won't fund it. Mm -hmm. But really having young people tell us that, I don't want to sit in a room across from a therapist. That's not the way I want to come to recovery. I want to come to recovery through art, through spoken word, through movement. And so if you see a lot of the programs we're doing, it's really – in those ways that will add a trauma-informed lens so they can address the trauma they're feeling but express themselves maybe different than I would as an adult. Uh, I think I'm an adult. Uh, you know, but And they'll often say there's a lot of adultism. People will create these programs for youth but don't really bring youth into that solution and it doesn't work. And so you can subside youth with any community. Yeah. If you really want to create solutions for community – they have to be part of that creating of solutions and the evolution of the programming if you truly want it to work. So if you're out there listening and you're somebody who's working on a youth space that's doing something for our youth, maybe you should jump on the website for Caring for Denver. You, 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 might, be a, you might be a candidate for, for, for Caring for Denver, especially if you're, you know, like I just said, making space for youth. Um, and youth are going through it. Like when I was in high school... Two years ago, <laughs> times 20. Um, but when I was in high school, like we, we had drugs, we had marijuana and cocaine. And I think that was pretty much the limit of what I saw in, in my high school. But nowadays they're dealing with opioids and marijuana and cocaine and, and a, just a, a slew of different things that I never would have ever imagined. And it's, and it's in middle school, it's, it's starting um, and they, it's really hard to tell a kid what to do when you're a kid. You, you don't want to listen to, to adults, 
But I think that if they had more spaces where they could talk amongst each other and talk to other people who have dealt with that, then they're on their pathway to, you know, there's no, there's no 15 year old telling themselves that they want to be addicted to heroin. That's, that's not happening. They, they might be addicted to it, but they're not saying they want to be. Even at that age, they, they want to back themselves out of that. And trying to figure out how to do that, it's got to be tremendously hard because the last person you want to turn to is your parents. You're hiding that from your parents. Uh, you're, you, you probably share it with, with other friends who are also dealing with their addiction. But beyond that, you're not telling your teachers. You're not telling your parents. So where is the, the safe place to go and communicate that, that issue and, and, and find that pathway to, to get yourself clean? Absolutely. You know, and it's the creativity of those safe spaces. What I loved about what Larez was saying is how do we hybrid and take the ideologies of our traditional foundation? Because, you know, the, the trick is for an organization, executive director or founding or creativity is you have to take the laws that are of the land and how things are done, understand those. And then at that point, you can innovate. A lot of people think they can come up with ideas and then just kind of stomp over those and they're going to stumble into a lot of mess. You have to understand what's there in front of you right now and innovate to that. So it's like, okay, I have a medical detox. I have a social detox. What are those models look like? You know, the social detox is kind of a drunk tank. Everybody doesn't want to go there. It's like every time they're at Tribe or any other organization I worked at, you're going to tell them they're going to go to a certain place and they're like, no, no, I'll, I'll straighten up. I swear. I swear. You know, um, the devil's in there, you know, <laughs> so, and it's really just a cold cell and it's just a, it's a, it's a bed and it's really not inviting. And then there's great medical detoxes, but Medicaid in the past just doesn't pay for it. And it doesn't help the people that don't have nothing to get the proper care. And that's still in a in a medical setting and it's a lot of money and it's a very big, prestigious, expensive building to, to develop to do those things. How can we take those models and innovate them to be more affordable, to be more inviting? And to be for the youth, you know, like what I love about what she was saying is traveling to different states and looking at different models. I was in I was in Memphis. Um, I was with Michael Hornbuckle from the Hornbuckle Foundation. We were doing this uh, this uh, blues competition. There was like a, a thousand people from everywhere. We're on Bill Street, right? And I called this guy. I just just googled some stuff and I saw this Urban Development League. And this guy, Christopher Keir, um, was on the other side. Christopher Keir Thomas, and he was like, yo, what's up? And I was like, I'm Tomas Hernandez, blah, blah, blah. And that's when I was, I'm one of the co-founders of Hornbuckle Foundation. I just want to see what you do, right? So we're in the same cigar shop. He's like, where are you at? And I go, well, I'm the only dude up in here Mexican dude with a tattoo on his head. So he comes over, he laughs with me. About five hours later, he's showing me around everywhere. Like, he did some innovation stuff. Like, this is, like, the example of what she's saying. Instead of a traditional schooling area, what he did was is he ran a Claritas report. He figured out what kind of six-month certifications that he could do. And he designed this place kind of like a cigar shop with couches and pads and TVs on the walls. And these people that would fail out of a traditional school setting that was very coarse and cold and desks and all that he used probably about a quarter of that budget to get these couches even donated couches get the technology up in there and teach these people 
the basics from a couch on a laptop on big screen TVs, and they were succeeding. And these are the people that, the, the kind of certification is get the people that you call when your phone's messed up. You know what I mean? And they're doing simple board uh, soldering work and all that kind of stuff, uh, re- refurbishing computers and all that kind of stuff. And it was just ingenious. And I was like, yo, I wish something you know, like people would get innovative like that in Denver. And, you know, there was like stuff like then Caring for Denver came in, which is also another organization I'll mention that's also in, in partnerships in a lot of ways, Latino Coalition. You know what I mean? A lot of these different ways that really can take like a guy like me, ain't nobody going to give me a lot of, a lot of chances, you know, like... They blessed me with twenty grand just to get through in Denver when COVID really started. You know, that's how I got my building. I remember when I didn't even know how to get a grant, and I, I emailed you, remember, and I said, thank you for the 20000 I spent it on the building. I'm across the park from you. She goes, I know what you're going to say, right? Write the grant. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I'm asking for a lot of money, and this is and that, but you know what? It took some work to write that grant, and we got it together, and you know what? I barely had until September when that 20 grand was out and they blessed me with my first big grant. And I remember looking at my staff and the relief and everybody dropped to their knees and was crying in happiness that we could keep going, you know, and we had a chance. And that was thanks to Karen for Denver. That was thanks to Karen for Denver, man. And it was a, it was a beautiful moment. It was, it was something that, Man, when I feel like the chips are down, those are those days that I remember. And that's in and, and, and Denver, I'm telling you, you know, just I'm just a simple guy that, that came through that, that got that got a shot. I'm not some esoterically blessed person. I didn't meet somebody in some back room and and make some kind of deal. I just believe in y'all. I believe in the idea, the idea, ideology that people can be saved and can be recovered. And they can, they can stay out of jail and they can get jobs and they can go back to their families and they can do things that they've never done before. And, it, and the lights ain't off yet. And you can even get through the worst times, you know, and those and that's what's great. What I was telling Denver, you're spoiled. You don't realize what's in front of you because there's a lot of communities out there that don't have this. They don't. And we have so many people doing so many great work and if you're listening right now and you have a great idea and you know get on that website don't be afraid because you know it's scary when you're like oh i've never went for a grant before this is and that i don't know how are you going to know if you don't try and we're here to help i mean i will talk to any prospective person that wants to apply any organization to just say you know what would make the right fit what are we looking for um, how do we help you? How do you sort of lift up your story around how you are part of community and really looking to support community? So Tomas jokes that he had no experience, but he was truly living the life. He was there to serve. He was lifting up community and community voice and looking to create care in a way that, that wasn't being delivered. And so it that was important, and he was trusted by community. And so that's what we look for. It's not how well you write a grant on a piece of paper. Um, every foundation is a little different. But for us, it ultimately comes down to who's trusted by community. And if you're trusted by community, we want to figure out, can we partner with you? So Lorez is our guest. She's the executive director of Caring for Denver. Uh, we have a little less than 10 minutes left. Before we wrap up, uh, I want to ask you a personal question, which is what made you want to get into nonprofit work? When you, I know you mentioned family 
Um, and that seems like a little bit more recent. But this, your work goes far further back than what's happened in the last 10 years. It definitely goes from beyond that. So what made you initially say, I'm going to help our community? You know, uh, I think that has been part of my DNA from from birth in that really um, want to make a difference. I, many of us do. We want to be able to, to know that the world is a better place because we were there. And so I think that has driven me in everything that I do, whether it's the jobs I've chosen or the volunteer experiences that I've had. I uh, volunteered at Inner City Health Center for 18 years because I can be doing policy with a governor, but if I don't know how it really impacts people and impacts a clinic that's trying to provide care to people, then are we really doing good with that policy and legislation? And so it's really about making sure you understand the impact you're having and, and how you have a meaningful one. And so I think for me, I've, I've, I've been fortunate. I have privilege that I can work at positions that maybe don't pay a lot. That's sometimes the challenging of nonprofit community is you can always make more money. I always say that's where my, my morals have cost me. Uh, in the, you know, you see people that are, and you're like, oh, that's great. I'm going to go have my ramen at home. Um, but it's, it's, you know, where it, people make choices about what they want to do with their life. And sometimes it's working really hard so you can give back on the community. And that's great and beautiful and important for me, spending so much of my time working. I want to make sure that my, my work speaks to me, it, that it lifts me up. And it lifts others up. And so if I'm doing that, I know that I'm doing the right thing. And so that's really just been a value that has guided me through everything that I've chosen to do. And when I feel like I'm not having the impact anymore, it's it's why I move and, and try to have an impact in another place or space. What was your very, very first nonprofit? Even if it wasn't one that you were, was close to your heart, but what was the first one? I My very first uh, nonprofit job was working with an environmental nonprofit. And so it was in Washington, D.C., uh, and it was really – you know what I realized was the importance of, of really listening to people? Sometimes when people are saying no, they're not really saying no. They're saying something else, and you're trying to figure out how do you – this is, again, where as communities, sometimes we, we hear the extremes where there's so much in between. And if we really listen to one another, we're going to figure out where that commonality is. And I learned how to organize, meaning – how do you bring people together to figure out let's work on the common good and let's figure out where we agree so that then we can move forward. And so it was a great experience, uh, made $11,000 in a year <laughs> in Washington, D.C. So uh, I am not joking when I ate a lot of ramen, um, but it taught me just so many invaluable skills that then I was able to create my own nonprofit. And I will say it is one of the hardest jobs. You have people whose lives depend on you raising money. Absolutely. And so I completely understand that as we're working with organizations. We're not trying to create more work. We're not trying to make their jobs any harder. And yet we have to live up to the ordinance that created us. And so trying to strike that right balance where we not only fund their program, but ideally we're helping build capacity. So as Tomas talked about, we, we work with the Latino Coalition to help organizations strengthen their organizations and how to new collective to really make stronger nonprofits work with communications folks so that they can tell their story so more people can know about them to then also how do we really talk as nonprofits it's so easy to talk about process meaning I saw 100 people and you're like great what did that really what was the impact that's what community Absolutely. leaders want to know is what the impact 
And so really trying to teach nonprofits how to measure their own impact so they can tell their story and they're not just dependent on us as caring for Denver, but can get funds from the state, from yeah. other communities. And so really, hopefully, we're building not just programs, but stronger organizations that mean these will last well beyond us, which is really the true purpose. Exactly. So what is taught by that is if you're an executive director, you're looking to set goals, maintenance and retention. And what that means is you get the job, you keep the job, and you further your life through that job and you retain it. And there's something of substance on the other side. And that's that's the true measure of success that we use as, as an executive director. How do we do that? And I love what she was saying about it's the people in those jobs. If you don't care for your people, you're losing. I know about everybody's kids everybody's families, the, the good, the bad, you know, I, I, I hear more about the cars that are broke and, and, you know, certain things that we got to, we got to tackle together. You know, it's about self-care. It's making sure they get enough sleep, making sure that everything is done in the proper manner. And that's true nonprofit work. It's not just about going out there and, and, and loving on people. You really got to be in an organization that loves each other as a family. And that's, and that's what's what's so different. I've been a for-profit guy a lot of my life, and then getting into the nonprofit and really looking at that has made me a better person, a better man, a better husband, a better father. You know, um, and you know, it's uh, it's truly amazing to be a part of caring for Denver. And I really, really appreciate you, Larez, oh. um, for everything that you've done for all of us. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm thanking you for many, many organizations right now just to get that simple call. I mean, she'll give you a call like, you think you got to come in for like a meeting because she's head honcho with the sombrero and the, and the poncho. And she's like, no, I just want to, Tomas, I just want to have a conversation to see how you're doing. Is everything good? Everything's like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's, uh, you know, I'm struggling with this. Well, like, you might want to try X, Y, and Z. It might help you. Here's, give that person a phone call, you know, and, th- and those are those types of things there, you know. But I'll head it over, over to you, Slim. Um, but uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, Lores. Grateful. I mean, what we've all been saying, it's all about connections. Mm -hmm. It's about how do we connect to one another. Um, People don't heal in isolation. They heal in community. And so this is about creating community. We would be nothing as Caring for Denver without amazing partners. And so grateful right back. Lores, thank you for the work that you do. Lores is the executive director for Caring for Denver and what I learned today is Caring for Denver helps so many organizations. That's the, the number one thing I've learned. And like you have your hand in, in more things than I could have imagined when we first started. Like my head is still spinning trying to, to wrap my head around all the different places that you're helping because you mentioned so many. Um, and I know you can't choose just one, but thank you for the work you do for all of them. Um, so if somebody's running a nonprofit here in Denver or on the outskirts of Denver and it's helping a lot of people in Denver. Once again, how can they reach you and learn more about working with Caring for Denver? The the best way is to go on to our website, caring4denver.org. Um, we also have social media channels. So if you want to see some of the stories of the grantees we work with and some of the work, that's a great way. But those are great resources. And again, you can always reach out in an email where our first name 
at caringfordenver.org. So I'd be Lorez at caringfordenver.org. Mahai, this has been sharing our stories and we are here each Sunday, 7 a.m. We want to thank our guest, Lorez from Caring for Denver for coming in this morning and talking about what they do and the organizations that that they help. And once again, if you want to reach out to them, that is caring, the number four, denver.org. Have a wonderful Sunday and thank you for tuning in this morning to sharing our stories.